you are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Coming to America, followed by interviews from Will Mavity with the character makeup designer Michael Marino and the makeup department heads Vera Steinberg and Kirk Arsene. Hey! What are you doing back here? Ufasa! <laughs> Say it again! Feel right in this I've just discovered that I may have a son here in this land. How much child support is she getting from? The king pays no child support. No child support for 30 years and you came back? You was a dummy! <laughs> <laughs> Hello, I am Hakim Jaffer, King of Zamunda. You are the heir to the throne. Yes, my son. He's supposed to be like the prince of Wakanda. Wakanda is a fictional place. Not to everybody. Zamunda is a very real nation. I don't need no handout. Wait a minute. All right, I'm going to Okay, baby. <laughs> Presenting King Hakim's son from America. And my mom's. And his mom's. Children, this is your brother. Hey, Quang. I'm sorry I slept with your man. This happened before we even met. It's not like you're the first man I've ever been with. I did, did, what did you just say about the other man? Coming to America, now it's coming to me. I always thought that Mika was going to be queen. <laughs> A woman isn't allowed to rule Zamunda. It's the law. Did it ever occur to you that Mika wanted to be your heir? Would you dare banish me from my own bedroom? What are you doing? Hakeem. I'm getting it from everywhere. I have upset my family. You must be strong. And General Izzy would love nothing more than to take over Zomunda. Raise it higher! I'm a king, I'm a king. Put your hands together! What if like that? Say it again! Give me all It's a party over here! I must admit, your style is far into my kingdom, but it's impressive. That's right. Ooh. There you go. Let me hear you say, hey, ho. Hey, ho. No, 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 no don't no, no, do no, that. No. That's his mother. <laughs> oh, don't you say it to No, not no. to his mother. I'm a king, I'm a king, I'm a king, I'm a king. Almost ready to become a prince. Almost. It is time. Ceremonial circumcision. Bring forward the royal machete. Machete? They're going to sharpen you too, nephew. <laughs> All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for Coming to America, and the story is as follows. Prince Akeem returns to America to search for his long-lost son. The film is starring Eddie Murphy, Arsenio Hall, Jermaine Fowler, Leslie Jones, Tracy Morgan, Kiki Lane, Wesley Snipes, and James Earl Jones. It is directed by Craig Brewer, and it is written by Kenya Barris, Barry W. Blostein, and David Sheffield. Here to join me for this podcast review, I have Ryan C. Showers. Hello, hello. Michael Schwartz. Hello, everyone. And Tom O'Brien. Hi, everybody. Okay, so as they say in the movie, Coming to America, this is a sequel to a movie that no one asked for, but I don't necessarily know if that's entirely true because it's one of those things where so much time has passed since the original Coming to America, and I think people really did want a sequel to this. I just don't think that anyone was really necessarily expecting that we would get it now, and here we are with... Director uh, Craig Brewer, who is reteaming with Eddie Murphy after a very successful collaboration on Dolomite Is My Name. And I think it is a great merging of artist and director coming together once again to give us something that is definitely related in spirit to the original Coming to America, but also has its own unique flavor to it for a 2021 audience. I don't know if it necessarily all works. That's what we're going to talk about here today. But why don't we start off with initial thoughts first and foremost from Tom O'Brien. Tom, what did you think of coming to, I'm, I'm trying to emphasize that it's the number two, America? <laughs> Unfortunately, not a whole lot. I mean, I really like Craig Brewer as a director. I thought that Hustle and Flow was pretty terrific. And in Dolomite last year, he brought out something in Eddie Murphy that I'd really never seen in the actor before. I mean, given, which is pretty remarkable given his long history of uh, movies. Uh here, though, I think he's just simply defeated by the blandness of the material. As soon as the characters are all introduced in the first hour, you kind of know exactly who they are and where they fit in into the rom-com structure and who will wind up with whom at the end. There's a, very few surprises along the way. Not that you necessarily want surprises for this. This is kind of a comfort food kind of movie. 
But you wind up having to wait for every beat to play out until the inevitable bloopers reel at the final credits. I mean, there are diversions along the way. I thought that Ruth Carter's uh, costumes were a blast, as they always are. And uh, it's nice to be reminded again just how funny Wesley Snipes can be uh, as the villain in this. Can, can Wesley Snipes just work with Craig Brewer from now on on every single movie? Because <laughs> he's wonderful. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's like he just has this ability to bring something out in Wesley that I think that is just so refreshing to see. <laughs> I and I, I wind up perking up every time he came back. It's yep. great. And, you know, it's the movie's diverting enough while you're watching it, but you know, it's kind of you know, an hour later, you kind of forget that he even saw it. OK. All right. Michael Schwartz, what about you? Yeah. So as for the original Coming to America, I'm a big fan of that movie. I really love vintage Eddie Murphy, and I think that's one of his finest performances and one of his funniest movies. I just watched it again a couple of weeks ago, and it really holds up. It's just smart and funny and entertaining and everything that you want out of a big budget comedy. For the sequel, I thought it was fine. Not great, fine. To me, it felt more like a TV reunion special than an actual movie. Mm. It was like, oh, it's so nice to see these people again. They're not really doing anything that exciting, but, you know, I'm happy to see them. Eddie Murphy, I'm just happy to see in any capacity these days. Dolomite was his big return, but before that, it had been years since we saw him operating in comedic mode. So just being able to see him under the makeup again, even if he's not as funny as he was uh, in 1988, it's still entertaining to watch. Uh, look, this is really like reheated leftovers. Yes, they set in the refrigerator overnight and they're going in the microwave. But you know what? The flavor is still there. It's not a gourmet meal, but it does what it's supposed to do, given what it is. So, you know, if you look at it through that lens, maybe we're just grading on the pandemic curve still. But I liked it. I love that analogy, actually. And I think that's a perfect way to describe my feelings towards this as well. Where do you fall, Ryan? Uh, so I actually did my due diligence and I watched the original back to back with um, the sequel. Um, and I have to echo uh, some of what Michael says. I don't love it as much. I don't love the original film as much as he does, but there is something special about it in the, in the eighties, nineties type of a vibe that it gives off. And, um, it is a genuinely entertaining movie. Um, but the sequel, and I have to say, I am, I didn't think I would be higher on the sequel than every, than everybody else here, but I do kind of, I did dig a little d deeper with it than uh, I think um, other um, everybody else did. I, um, I, I think that the sequel does a lot to make the fans feel of the, the fans of the original film feel very at home and comfortable. Um, you know, a lot of times whenever thing like movies or TV shows come back for a reunion um, multiple decades later, the fan service can sometimes feel cheap and phoned in. And I don't think that it is here. I think that the that they went to great lengths in the writing to incorporate many throwbacks and homages to the original that um, would be uh, less significant or less thought out in other um, in other movies or TV shows. But here, I think it's really well done. And I have to say, I do appreciate the feminist um, undertone of the film. With um, you know, uh, skipping, find, uh, going out of their way to find an unqualified man when there is a qualified woman to take a, uh, to take a position, I thought that was very smart. Um, but overall, I didn't think it was very funny. Um, I it was it was just kind of there. It was fine. It was enjoyable. Um, I did like um, Leslie Jones a lot. Um, I every time she was on screen, I did laugh. Um, but the laughs didn't really extend beyond her in the film. Um, I do feel like they could have done a better job with the plot. Like there were sometimes I feel like there were scenes missing that connected the plot, um, plot points from A to C. Like I feel like the, the point B was missing, um, but uh, it could have been cleaned up a little bit. But overall, it's it's OK. Yeah. Yeah, I, I liked it. I, I'm mixed positive on it for sure. I echo a lot of the criticisms that people have said here. It's definitely not as fresh or original as the original, obviously. So it is a retread in a lot of ways. But at the same time, even though the comedy, I will admit, didn't get to me, there's a few choice moments or lines where the comedy did ring is entertaining for me and I did get a chuckle or two out of some of the moments and I'll go into those probably in my final thoughts later. The 
uh, the vibe I was mostly getting from this was uh, kind of like what was said before, that th this was just more of like a comfort movie. And I think that all has to do with what Craig Brewer brings to this in terms of the scale of the movie. You know, it's like Rufy Carter's costumes are so extravagant. And because they're so colorful and popping, it's like the movie around it also needs to have like that same level of extravagance to it. So there's like all these big musical numbers and there's all these cameos and it just feels like the movie is very expansive in a way where I kind of was, and to Michael's point, maybe it's because we're all kind of grading stuff on a curve due to COVID and it just doesn't feel like we've gotten a movie like this in a, in a while. Um, it, it, was, it, it was refreshing for me, to say the least, to have a movie like this that wasn't necessarily like offensive in any of its comedy. It was just kind of digestible and sort of just you know, plain, you know what I mean? Yeah, it, it had that sitcom vibe to it. And I, I say sitcom, but like big screen sitcom. And that's not a bad thing. Like sometimes you're just looking for simple, digestible humor or just something relaxing on a Friday night. So yeah, judging it from that lens, I yeah. think it's perfectly fine. We're not talking Eddie Murphy's finest work here. This is not going to be in his, you know, career tribute reel. Of course, we're going to have questions Although, the first one. Although, can I just say really quick about Murphy, though? I, I was genuinely surprised at how subtle and mellow he was in this movie. Mm -hmm. I, I really thought he was going to be a little bit more over the top. Yeah. And I think that's maybe him as a performer recognizing his uh, his age and his place in the story, that the spotlight doesn't necessarily need to be on him, that he is then chewing up the scenery around everyone else. He's now the James Earl Jones character from the first one. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. there's definitely a growth of like from like the first film to the second film where he has settled into this different role and he's grown up. And I think that reflects in his performance. I, I think it makes the performance better. I mean, uh, obviously, you know, he's still Eddie Murphy at the end of the day. But I have to admit with this and Dolomite, I'm really appreciating this new phase of his career uh, quite greatly. Yeah. It's a great pairing uh, with Brewer and Murphy. Man, I hope they do, they work together a lot more. And like I said before, Wesley Snipes as well, please. <laughs> God, every moment he's on screen in this, it's just like, I don't know where some of the stuff that he does comes from, but it's so, he's probably the funniest element of the movie in terms of its comedy, I think. Yes. Oh. I mean, what did you guys think of Leslie Jones? Oh, I loved um, this. I did love the scene where she's in the bath. I, I got quite a good laugh out of that. That was very funny. Yeah. That was a nice surprise. Uh, but I also just like her energy and enthusiasm for enjoying the royal African life, if you will, and how much she is just kind of enjoying the opulence and, you know, uh, this, uh, the, the grandiosity of everything that's happening. I, 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 I thought her energy was contagious in that sense. I'm a big Leslie Jones fan just for her work on Twitter, where she uh, live tweets MSNBC throughout the day. <laughs> Like to, seeing her do that, and of course SNL, Ghostbusters. She's done a lot of good stuff, so it's nice to see her having a good time here, bringing her energy. She just has such a positive vibe to her wherever she goes that it's impossible to dislike anything she's doing. The the what what I think is kind of interesting is that she plays the part of the disruptor in everything she does, yeah. and that's kind of the part that Eddie Murphy played in the eighties. Mm -hmm. When when Murphy would be in 48 Hours or Beverly Hills Cop, he'd shake up the Beverly Hills Police Department in a way that Leslie Jones comes in and kind of shakes up the staid royal manners of Zamunda in this. And it's it's just a breath of fresh air. Yeah, because quite honestly, Jermaine Fowler, as much as I've uh, I, I have to say, like, I, I know him. He's never really been a standout to me. And this was, I think, supposed to be definitely more of a showcase role for him. But I found him to be the least interesting addition to this new part of the cast. I agree with that. There's a lot of going through the motions because he's I think he services this as his character services the story and the other characters more than he um, he enhances it, if that makes sense. Like he's more of a figure that everything else mm -hmm. kind of revolves around. I did like that. Uh, sorry to bother you reference. Uh, where they say, uh, don't use the white voice. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
there was there was there was some like I said, there's moments of good humor in there. Um, and I do think Jermaine Fowler, like I don't think he's bad necessarily. I do think he makes for a likable protagonist to kind of go on this um, Mr. Deeds esque journey with. But it, I, I don't know. I still have yet to really understand uh, what makes him so special and unique as an actor at this point. But I don't know. Maybe we'll get there soon. He was a winning presence. It's not like it was a great performance, but it was just, you know, charisma on screen and served the role well. Now, Kiki Lane, on the other hand, I loved her in this movie. And I actually was a little disappointed to see that I thought that she for for as much as they're trying to write, as as Ryan said, this kind of pro feminist angle uh, for her character. I was kind of disappointed that she was not in the movie as much as I would have hoped. And that's exactly what I was talking about. I feel like this movie, I feel like the screenplay leaves out key scenes that would have further made the overall arc of the film successful. I think they leave out scenes with her. I think they leave out scenes with Leslie Jones as the film goes on. Uh, I think they leave out some of the scenes that link up the plot that would really enhance it. Yeah, because she's going on a journey too. her character, uh, the way Jermaine Fowler's is. And I just wish that she had gotten the same kind of character arc development that they uh, they gave to Fowler, because clearly she can hit it out of the park. And I'm also really glad, if anything, that they did not make them uh, a spoiler alert, but the screenplay does not make them romantically involved. Yeah, that was kind of a nice change. Yeah, because I thought they were laying the groundwork for that. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I, I'm glad that they didn't go there. <laughs> well, can I ask, how do you guys think the film is like in terms of its success for servicing the fans of the original? Like, I'm not necessarily a huge fan of the original. Um, uh, that doesn't describe my stake in this whatsoever, but I watching the original back to back with this really showed me just, I feel like they really went out of their way to make the fans feel welcome and safe here. I agree. Uh, as said before, it's a comfort movie. I think that comedy obviously has changed a lot in the last, you know, 20 something years. So in that regard, it's going to feel a little bit different. But one element of this movie and it, it anytime it comes up in any movie, I'm just continuously blown away by it. Are these de-aging visual effects, which I I just like. I don't know where the difference is anymore. I, I can't tell, you know, if this was old footage that's been restored or if it's visual effects. Like, it's unbelievable to me. Well, there are two elements there. There is one moment of de-aging that I think works really well. But an element of this movie that drove me up a wall is that they insert clips from the original Coming to America. N- not reenactments, just actual clips from the first movie into the middle yeah. of this one. Yeah. And that just felt totally out of place to me like trust your audience enough to know the references to this beloved movie like i don't know if people realize how big of a success coming to america was if you adjust for inflation that movie made over 600 million dollars in today's money like it is a huge hit but i definitely and i agree with you michael that people should have by now seen that movie but there's a part of me that definitely does believe that there is a huge number of audiences today younger audiences people younger than us probably who have no idea i i I find this principle of like doing this with sequels to be um cheesy in the first place i don't like when when films do that like a lot like insert you know raw clips from the the original film into the sequel i i think it's lazy but um so i kind of agree with michael here yeah i i do too it's it just feels it feels tv yeah. And and really, I expect more from Craig Buell. OK, I, I think that's I think that's fair. Uh, what do you guys think of the utilization of uh, James Earl Jones in this? Uh, supposedly they had to film all of his scenes uh, separately because at his age, he can't travel. And I I got to say, because of his age, uh, his scenes actually had more impact on me than I was anticipating. Yeah, really. I mean, it's amazing to see him in any capacity, even if it's doing voice work in The Lion King last year. I mean, the fact that we have him at age 90 now and he's still active is a tremendous thing. Uh, There weren't a ton of laugh out loud moments for me in this movie. Like it was more like a little chuckle here and there. But even though it was a poignant scene, his uh, 
departure on screen, I'll say, the way it happened. I actually thought that was touching but funny. Mm -hmm. The the way he uh, took an exit on stage left. Exactly. Like I, I was I was very taken aback by it because once again, there is kind of a mature element to some aspects of this movie. And maybe, like I said before, that has to do with Murphy's age and, you know, uh, the age of other members of the cast and just kind of looking back, but also passing the torch, if you will. And, you know, the movie just has a very different vibe, I think, uh, compared to the original in that regard. And speaking of which, what do you guys think of uh, Arsenio Hall? Again, someone else is great to see on screen again. We don't uh, see him nearly enough. And he is, I guess, now known for his uh, TV show that was uh, post coming to America. But, you know, he's a comedic actor and he's still up to the test, you know, going under all the prosthetics and even just, you know, working alongside Murphy. It was nice to see him. Yeah. I mean, we haven't seen him on screen since 2009 with Black Dynamite. You know, it looked like he was having a ball. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everybody looks like they're having so much fun in this movie. Yeah, uh, and this was all shot, we should say, in Atlanta, just like Black Panther. So all, all this, so the New York scenes, the Zamunda scenes, all shot in Atlanta, which is just like amazing to think that none of this was on location. You have these great studios uh, down south, and it's just all shot there. I just was blown away by that. I, I had read that the uh, uh, wilderness scenes when they're out with the lion and all of that was shot in uh, Rick Ross's property. <laughs> no. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I I have to admit, I really thought that Jermaine Fowler in no scenes with the lion really came alive in a way where I felt like he was lacking in others. I like that scene. And I also like the scene where he has to um, uh, sacrifice his pride, let's say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was funny. And this movie gives him an opportunity to spit some rhymes on the mic. You know, I, I, I listen, I know before I sounded like I was kind of like beaten up on him a little bit. Uh, but at the same time, it's like he's serviceable and he has his moments. Um, I think I I think just selfishly deep down, I wanted maybe just a bit more from the original cast and the original ca- uh, the new cast didn't like do the greatest job of making me um, forget that the original cast was there, if you will, you know. You know who I love seeing uh, outside of James Earl Jones and Arsenio Hall? Uh, We'll refer to him now as Uncut Gem Stars, John Amos. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. (laughs) Uh, One of my favorite elements of the original Coming to America is McDowell's. Mm -hmm. I just thought that was such a funny concept. And they do play with it a little bit here. But just to see him back in the story, they moved the story to Zamunda. Uh, uh, Louis Anderson comes back for a cameo. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The Louis Anderson bit in this, I, I, first of all, I figured that he would show up at some point, but um, I was a little surprised that he had such a, um, like, you know, just a reduced role. Yeah, that, that was fan service. Uh, another joke from the original movie that they do allude to here, I think one of the greatest, uh, I don't know if you call it a cameo or a throwback, yeah, I guess it is a cameo, uh, in the original Coming to America is the reference to Trading Places. I'll leave it at that if you've never seen it. Oh, okay. I think I know what you're talking about here. uh, It is so funny. It comes out of nowhere, and it's just like the perfect transition given everyone who's working on that movie. So we get a little nod to it in this movie, and I think that's a nice touch. doesn't really add or take away, but if you're a fan, you know what they're doing. And we also have to acknowledge the presence of Morgan Freeman because he's Morgan Freeman. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Anytime he just shows up, it's like, ah, yes. You got a lot of cameos. (laughs) You have him, you have Trevor Noah, you have... Salt and Pepper, <laughs> Gladys, Gladys Knight, uh, Colin Jost, who I whatever I still I don't get it I still don't get it <laughs> I don't get the fascination. No. Uh, but after seeing like Tom and Jerry, I'm like, oh no, just like keep him away, please. <laughs> um. All right. So in regards to final thoughts on this movie, like little things that you want to highlight, whether it was um, a bit of comedy or something that we haven't talked about, uh, Ryan passing it over to you first. What thoughts do you have for coming to America? Um, I have two. One, um, I'm obsessed with that um, red wedding dress. Yes. The train <laughs> on that dress. It, it really took my breath away. It just kept going and going. Like, I mean, the, it's been said already, but like the the costumes, are just great and like i wouldn't expect anything different based on you know the first film getting a best costume uh, nomination at the oscars uh so 
but my second thought is like, you know, I do think um, some of us maybe are giving this, uh, so some of us maybe giving coming to America a bit of a pass. Like it's, it's the type of movie to me that I feel like, you know, because it's one of the first in this new eligibility window for the Oscars or our award season year, like we'll look back on this, like in December and be like, Ooh, I sh-, you know, my letterbox rating is too high. Let's, you know, down a star. Um, it's just, it, it's, it's, it's very nice for this time of year. Um, and that's, yeah, that, that's all. Yeah, I mean, that, that always happens, right? You're, you're not necessarily, or at least the way I see it is I'm not comparing movies to, uh, other movies that came out in different years. I usually am looking at it from a grade standpoint versus everything else that comes out throughout the whole year. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I can't deny that I wasn't negative on this movie. I did end up in the positive section, albeit on the lower end of things. And then, uh, Tom, what about you? What, what, what final thoughts do you have? One thing that tickles me is that in the movie, the characters of Leslie Jones and Tracy Morgan are related. And I totally see that. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. Tracy Morgan. I, I just love I honestly, after what he went through, I'm just so happy to always just see him in any capacity. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I, I was just disappointed he didn't say Sal. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Although there is a character in this movie, uh, Sal. So they could have you know made that connection and uh, post-production. <laughs> yeah. OK. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think that would have been too recent. <laughs> yeah. uh, speaking of Leslie Jones and uh, Tracy Morgan, have any of you seen the movie Top Five, the Chris Rock movie? Yes, very underrated. Yeah. That is a really good movie, and they both have uh, supporting parts in it. If you've never seen Top Five, go check that out. That was a really funny film from uh, 2014. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Anything else, Tom? No, uh, just I hope that this serves as a bridge for some better work that Brewer and Murphy will do together in the future. Yeah, I hope this isn't the last of their collaboration at all, because I really do think that they are a winning pair, uh, especially, like I said before, in this stage of Murphy's career. Michael, what about you? So can I just ask everyone out of the characters that Eddie Murphy plays in this movie, Prince Hakeem or later King Hakeem, uh, Randy Watson, Saul and Clarence, who's everyone's favorite character? I like Prince slash King Hakeem, honestly. Me too. I do like Saul because he sounds like Gumby. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. the makeup on Saul was amazing in 1988 and continues to look amazing today like that is just terrific work that they do there uh, I should say Saul because you know obviously but uh, Randy Watson does crack me up with uh, his band Sexual Chocolate I'm just kind of blown away uh, that the makeup work today is still just as good as it was all the way back then and it's an Eddie Murphy uh hallmark right to have uh him playing multiple roles completely drenched in makeup and there are times where it's very noticeable and then there are times where it's actually kind of seamless and you're blown away by the transformational element of it all um Arsenio Hall uh also has uh some moments in this where he also is covered in makeup and I was like whoa yeah, he plays like the witch doctor, which is a new character. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> that, was, that was very funny. I, I love when they go back to New York, uh, Akeem and Semi. They walk into the barbershop that looks exactly the same from 1988. Yep. And Saul's sitting there and he goes, uh, Kunta Kinta and Ebola. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, that, that's very funny. Like, I, I love that in our, you know, everything watered down, politically correct era, Eddie Murphy can still get away with that humor that, you know, put him on the map. And, you know, it's funny. Humor is funny, people. We can laugh at jokes. It's okay. There was a uh, moment in the barbershop where uh, the one character I, I does say politically incorrect and, like, the, the line delivery of that was, I thought, really well done. <laughs> <laughs> Other, like, line deliveries in this that I really, really enjoyed... Uh, <laughs> is when Eddie Murphy says, I rather enjoy being on fleek. Yeah. <laughs> or I will find this bastard of Queens. That, that was funny. They kept referring to him as like the bastard son. Yeah. yeah. I, I like that. That was very funny. And then, of course, uh, these are the foreskins of your forefathers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, they're moments that make you chuckle. Look, I, yeah. Yeah. I confessed on our main show last week. Uh, God forgive me that I do enjoy Norbit. I think there are some very funny movies and I went to go watch a few clips and I'm, I'm sorry. I still laugh hysterically when Rasputia good has down the water slide. That is a hysterical <laughs> moment 
to me. <laughs> and, you know, I, I don't think I had the same type of belly laugh in Coming to America, but they're, they're Coming to America, the sequel, not the original. Uh, but there's still enough chuckles that I'm like, okay, that was fun. That was entertaining. Uh, we have uh, the cameo, again, from uh, Vanessa Bell Calloway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, she comes back uh, doing what she's been doing for uh, over 30 years. So I'll just leave it at that. It was funny to see her. You know, there are moments at work. It's not all perfect, but it's an enjoyable time. And I think if you're just going to pull this up on a Friday night on Amazon Prime, I think you'll be in, uh, impressed by what you see. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday. Don't you know that you're a grown-up? I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? I've never done it. (laughs) And then my uh, final two notes here are uh, What a King by En Vogue. And I love seeing end credits with outtakes. And what? John Legend? Hello. <laughs> <laughs> so if you didn't stay through all the way through the credits, I don't know what to tell you there. But there was a lot of really, really good uh, Easter eggs in those credit sequences that I really enjoyed. Uh, oh, 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 oh. And the last thing, because... This was totally obvious. I mean, like, blatantly obvious. I'm surprised nobody brought it up. The Paramount logo and then kind of swooping in into the palace. Come on, guys. That's definitely a Black Panther welcome to Wakanda moment. Am I right? You know, when, like, the ship, like, kind of is flying over the African country and then it transforms and it's like all of a sudden the city of Wakanda is right, right there. Like, yeah, that had to be a direct reference. Come on. Yeah, totally. It crossed my mind. Yeah. So grade out of 10 for me, I'm going with a six on this one. Like I said, positive, mixed, not great, but I still cannot deny that I had fun and it was a comfortably good time. Ryan? I'm at a five. Okay. Tom? Uh, Diverting but forgettable. Five. Michael? I'm a seven. Okay. And then in terms of the film's Oscar prospects, uh, I guess... You know, it's interesting because a lot of us, I remember, we saw the trailer for this, and when we saw that it was being released at this time of the year, we all kind of went, oh, because for all we know, potential makeup contender, another costume uh, contender possibility for Rufy Carter. What do you guys think now in terms of, you know, considering like what we see make the shortlists in this day and age, do you guys think that coming to America could potentially show up a year later from now? Totally. Yeah, I do. It's possible. You know, so what the original film got best makeup and best um, costume design, correct? Correct. So, I mean, hypothetically, I could see I could see either of those repeating. I mean, it's hard with costume design because, you know, that is a branch where I feel like we do get later releases um, like exclusively in that category. But I wouldn't write it off because these costumes are just out of this world. Yeah, and and Ruth Carter's Oscar royalty now. Yeah, 
Agreed. Although she didn't get the nomination last year, which was really surprising. Please don't remind me, because goddamn. <laughs> you know what? I, I could see a world where we'll talk about this as being an Oscar contender, and it totally deserves it. But at the minimum, I would bank on this getting a Costume Design Guild nomination next year. Sure, I could see that happening. I, I could see that and the makeup also. Uh, but they also might look at the makeup as kind of a... Been there, done that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Been there, done that uh, sort of thing. But at the same time, it's very showy and there's a lot of work on display here. So, yeah, well, I think it's the possible. Is they, they literally have been there and done that. Like, it's not <laughs> right. Just an expression here. They've done it for this exact movie. Yeah. Do you remember? Like, I mean, Ed, there are so many movies with Eddie Murphy where they did that, that did get a costume. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That did get a makeup nomination. I would love mm-hmm. to know exactly how many movies there are that he's starred in. Ooh. Yeah, I bet, I bet there's at least that's five. That's a good question. It's a very good question. Yeah, let's so, see. I mean, we don't have to answer it. I'm just more so. Just oh, no, no, no. Out. Now I want to know. The uh, the genie's out of the bottle, Ryan. <laughs> Sorry. So coming to America, Nutty Professor. So that's two. Then Norbit. I think it's those three. Coming to America, Nutty Professor and Norbit. But still, uh, Ryan's got a point. I mean, three movies starring the guy, you know. Especially whenever he's not like these aren't the type of movies that like we would na- naturally look back and be like, oh, that was Oscar nominated or Oscar winning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But do you know so. what the difference is? Do you know who was nominated for all three of those movies? Rick Baker. The now retired Rick Baker. Yeah. Yep. All right. We'll see what happens there. Ryan, where can they find you on the Internet? You can find me on Twitter at RCS818. Tom O'Brien. You can find me on Twitter at Thomas E. O'Brien. Michael Schwartz. On Twitter at mschwartz95. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of Coming to America here on the Next Best Picture podcast. And now stay tuned for Will Mavity's interviews with character makeup designer Michael Marino and the makeup department heads Vera Steinberg and Merck Arsenu for Coming to America. You must heed my words before I'm gone, my son. Now, you will be king. But the throne must pass to a male heir. Hakim, it appears you have a son. He must be found. Prepare the royal jet. We are going back to America. Oh, hell no, your majesty. Come on! Hi, this is Will Mavity with NextBestPicture.com with Mike Marino, the prosthetic supervisor for Coming to America. Mike, obviously this is uh, one of the more iconic comedy makeup jobs in film history that you were kind of following up. Did you in the past study or work with Rick Baker? Yes, yes, I did. Um I never worked in his studio. Well, actually, that's a lie. Uh, he flew me out to, uh, I'm an East Coast, he's West Coast. Mm-hmm. So he flew me out on Men in Black 3 to do some test makeups back uh, 10 years ago or more. Uh, and uh, I had worked on Men in Black with Rick, uh, along with many, many other great artists. Um, so that was really my introduction to Rick. Um, and 10 years later, you know, this, this coming to America had, uh, had come around, you know, and uh, we, we've known each other for quite a long time. He was my idol. Rick Baker is my ultimate childhood idol that I was obsessed with the thriller and, uh, and uh, all his work over the years. So it was, uh, he was no stranger to me. Yeah. I mean, his and Stan Winston's work were a big part of my childhood and a lot of the reason I got interested in covering films. So I, I definitely wow. feel that. So with something like this, I mean, obviously you guys wanted to have a lot of the famous Baker characters from the first coming to America. So for the barbershop guys, sexual chocolate and the reverend, um, did you guys try to reuse his molds or start from scratch? Tell me a little about the process of bringing those characters back. Yeah, I wish we could. Uh, no, none of that happened. Uh, it was uh, we treated it just like any other job. We started from scratch. We had uh, our own life casts. We took of their Eddie and Arsenio and uh, Clint, the other character in the film, uh, and it, which was Eddie's friend. And we life casted them from scratch because you know we're thirty years later. So uh, 
it's everyone's progressed in age a little bit. You know, they look amazing. It's a kind of a miracle that they look so young still. Um, <laughs> but uh, but we, we started over. We, we printed photographs of Rick Baker's work. We did every kind of research we possibly could do, freeze frame things, but so much of it. And it just started from scratch. And, uh, and the interesting thing about this was that what would happen if those characters from the original film aged 30 years? Mm-hmm. What would they be? You know, not only would they look older, what would they have done? You know, for example, Randy Watson or something, you know, like uh, the, the sexual chocolate singer. Uh, what would he have done? Would he have ate all the food at the weddings? Would he have gotten drunk? And is he, is he fatter? You know, like, what is he like now? So uh, psychologically, I kind of looked at each character as to like how they would progress in age, not only keeping it to look still like Rick Baker's original makeups, but uh, following the wrinkle patterns, we really tried to match all of that exact work. And then in our heads go, how would they age? Uh, how would their necks hang more and their hair be whiter and all of that? So uh, it was really a challenge to do. But but it was all originally made. It was all original pieces. And Rick's molds, I don't even know if they exist anymore. So Yeah. At the time, I know you hadn't made as many advancements in terms of the materials that allow full-blown movement with the faces. And a guy like Eddie, who's a very expressive actor, tell me a little bit about the materials you use to not really inhibit his kind of naturally rubbery face in the process of... Well, yeah, so all the makeups are in silicone. So everything uh, in the original film was foam latex. Mm -hmm. And they both have really great qualities. You know, one is... uh, the original material, which you can make really soft pieces, um, but you have to paint. They're not translucent like real skin. So you have to paint a lot. It's a lot of painting and painting out skin tones and matching, which is very difficult on its own. And Rick had mastered that. Um, And our uh, materials are silicone. So which are completely translucent. You can kind of see through them a little bit. If you look at your hand, you see the veins and little, little speckles and things. And so, Mm -hmm. so it's really kind of, um, uh, a material that mimics real skin, but there's still a lot of paint on it. There's still, you know, veins you have to paint on it and freckles and moles and all these things that you have to do uh, to really get it to look like a real person's skin. So it's quite challenging uh, on its own, um, but you can't, you do have the advantage of making the pieces really soft and mushy, but that also has a, uh, the caveat of, you know, it wrinkling weird, you know, so you have right. multiple new uh, problems that, uh, that arise, you know, so, uh, so it's, it's definitely challenging and, uh, and working with really good actors. That's what's really important. It's so important to, uh, to have a great cooperative actor because that actor is in a chair for hours and hours and hours. There's really like, no way to speed it up. It's just detail work, you know, it, uh, of any kind. It's like doing a drawing. You know, you can't rush the drawing. You're still going to do it, you know. So it's it's still there. Uh, you can speed things up here and there, but uh, it's still uh, quite a lot of work. Yeah, tell me about the Saul character uh, specifically, because obviously that you know that's one of the more just completely transformative makeup jobs in the film. So that was like my favorite character of, of all time. You know, it's like <laughs> that that makeup was so dazzling and gorgeous and amazing. Like, you know, even back in the day when Rick Baker had designed that makeup and created that makeup, that people didn't know it was him. People, mm-hmm. people didn't even know that that was Eddie Murphy. So people now know it's Eddie Murphy. So now they know what he looks like. So the dupli- duplicating it was such a challenge, such a challenge. Uh, how how do we copy the wrinkles and how do we age them and how do we make it look as good or similar or try to be as good as Rick Baker because that's the giant of the makeup world. I mean, it's yeah. like it's like uh, you know Leonardo da Vinci or something like you're, you're duplicating <laughs> something like to hear that, that someone like that has done. You know, so uh, it, it's it was stressful in a sense, but at the same time, a dream job to do. And uh, and once you start making pieces and you gluing them on Eddie. Uh, he starts becoming Saul. He starts, the voice comes out, uh, the teeth are in and he starts doing this thing and is hunching over and everything. It's so interesting to see him transform. Obviously there's a couple new characters too. One that stood out in particular to me was 
the uh, I don't remember his, his name, but he's uh, the advisor to uh, to the kings, and he pops up a couple times in the film. Um, what's his name? Baba. Baba. Yeah. So tell yeah. me about Baba. So Baba is played by Arsenio Hall, and uh, originally Eddie Murphy had the idea to make this shaman type witch doctor character. And I don't know if you remember this film or your audience remember this film, but it, there was a there was a TV series called Shaka Zulu back in the day. And there was this old witch doctor in that film that Eddie had wanted this guy to kind of look like. Mm-hmm. So I had <laughs> I had done, uh, uh, you know, uh, pitched it to everyone and they're like well i don't know we don't want it to look scary and all this and uh, and eddie was you know oh, i don't i you know was it the right idea you know and i said let's just go for it let's do it arsenio was really up for it he really wanted to do it so uh uh artists in my studio uh one particular mike fontaine we had gone back and forth sculpting and making this thing um so good back and forth re-sculpting things and getting it just right and we made this long white wig with dreadlocks and it was balding and everything. And, uh, and it was, it was a, a really all-encompassing character, really, really old man. And once Arsenio was in the makeup, he was like a Skeksis. You know, he had this voice that came out and hunched over and we made a belly for him. And he was doing all this stuff. And we had contact lenses in his eyes and big, goofy, rotted teeth that uh, Art Sakamoto and my crew had made and uh, really, really uh, transformative makeup. And it was fun to do an original character as well, even though there were more original characters, but they, you know, we try so many things and uh, there were a few that didn't make it into the film, uh, which I wish they were, but uh, we can probably behind the scenes show what they were. Yeah, I was I was wondering about that because Baba was the only really noticeable new character. Is there anyone else that you're going to tell me, oh, that's Eddie and that's Arsenio? And I, I didn't even realize uh, they were they were they, they were. I don't know how much I can tell you, but I'm sure it'll be on the behind the scenes. But uh, we had done some really interesting stuff on Eddie and Arsenio. Uh, and there was another one that I had sculpted for Eddie Murphy, where he played this big, fat character, which which it never made it to gluing it on him. But I, I could probably show at some point uh, the sculptures mm-hmm. and all that of what it was. And, uh, you know, these things happen. You know, you you plan, either you run out of time or script changes or something. And that's just part of this game, you know. Sure. It's, it's just fortunate to be able to do these makeups at all because um, I think – I think sometimes people shy away from makeup. It takes a lot of prosthetics, this elaborate because it takes a lot of time and a lot of money and planning and all that. But, uh, but it's just, it doesn't, you couldn't have this sequel without those makeups. You couldn't do the film without those characters that Eddie created and Arsenio because it's so vital to the success of what people love in the original film. So uh, we were really fortunate to do those makeups and to put Eddie through that process. Yeah, and then uh, the last character wasn't quite as transformative, but uh, the news anchor uh, that pops up. Did you guys, that's, uh, I believe, Trevor Noah under some facial hair. Did you guys do anything for that? Not us. That's not us. I'm not sure gotcha. what he wore or whatever it may be, but then uh, no, we didn't do anything with him. So I know uh, you have two big projects coming up. Um, can you tell me a little bit about what you're we should be looking forward for you for many saints of Newark this year and Batman coming up. Right. So many saints of Newark is a, is a, is a prequel to the Sopranos. So it's uh, the 1950s and sixties Sopranos world. So we had done some, some character makeups uh, for, for a few actors, uh, uh, Vera Farmiga, who's wearing a nose and making her look like the mother, Nancy Marchand. Uh, oh, uh, really kind of interesting. And, uh, and there are a couple other things in the film and, uh, and I think it'll be a really good film. And uh, we also have Batman, the new Batman coming out. And there are some things in there that we had done as well. Some, some makeups. I don't want to say exactly what it is, but there was a teaser. Oh, everybody's seen Colin Farrell in the trailers. So. <laughs> okay, well, I didn't say it. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, there's, there's some stuff in there that we, we, we were a part of and we made some character things and uh i guess we'll wait and do another interview down the line but uh, that was really it's a really interesting project and we were really happy to do that film too 
Well, you've uh, you've done great work here, and I'm excited to see that you're getting all these cool projects. So thank you so much for taking the time to tell me about your work in this. Loved seeing these characters brought back to life. Awesome. Thanks so much. I'm looking forward to uh, what people think about the film when it comes out. All right. Thanks so much. Take care, buddy. I'm the king of this shop. That's my hell. Well, well. Say it again. It is so good to see you. Well, I be damned. Look who done come up in here. Hey, it's Kunta Kinte and Ebola. Famine and blood diamonds. Nelson Mandela and Winnie. Those hungry babies with the flies on the face. Hey, oh, 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 that's too much now. You stepped over the line now. We won't be talking that kind of shit about the hungry babies. You're going to have to get out of my chair. Politically incorrect. So what you doing back here, Hotel Rwanda? <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, I'm Will Mappy with NextBestPicture.com. You know, obviously with any Eddie Murphy movie, you're going to have an insane showcase for makeup. Um, I already spoke with some of the prosthetics folks earlier, but obviously this film goes way beyond that. So um, before I get into some of the specific non-prosthetic characters, tell me a little bit about collaborating with Mike Marino once he gave you some of these shaped prosthetic features for like sexual chocolate and the bar and the barbershop guys and people like that. I, I love Mike and I love, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan of his work. Um, I've been following his work for many years. Um, and you know, when the project came along and, and, you know, for him was a huge challenge because he had to kind of match what Rick Baker did mm -hmm. 30 years ago. So I think that, um, you know, he he was kind of like, you know, on his own in, in New York because he's based in New York and Nurse and I are in L.A. Um, so a lot of the saying and everything was really among what was done, you know, prior, you know, 30 years ago and kind of going in the same direction, but 30 years later. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so I give it up to him because he had more of a challenge than Nurse and I did. <laughs> that was like okay, here you go. You have to like show off and, you know, show uh, Rick Baker what you can do 30 years later. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, um, but it's, he's, he's amazing. I mean, he's like an incredible artist. So, you know, like whatever he was going to do, we were like all yours. I mean, he's, that's his specialty, you know? He's talented. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a number of characters that look amazing, though, that he he didn't touch. So um, you have some interesting cameos. I know Trevor Noah was in here with facial hair as a newscaster. Um, so tell me a little bit about the work you did on him. He had his own makeup artist in New York. He didn't make it to um, Atlanta to shoot. So he had his own people that actually created, you know, his own look. So they kind of collaborated together to create his character. And then what about some of the um, the flashback sequences where you you reveal how um, Eddie Murphy's character came to be a father? And I know some of it was using footage from the original film, but yeah. there also seemed to be, oh, we want to make Eddie and Arsenio look younger. Um, so tell me a little bit about that work. That that was actually all visual effects. We cannot wow. really reverse it. They did this thing where um, they did it on another movie. I can't really remember the name of the movie, but I've seen like things that you know they've done before, where they um, visually, without going through all the prosthetic makeup, because prosthetic makeup, it's really hard to like make somebody like look so much younger, mm -hmm. you know. So they did it visually. So um, you know, we give it you know that for visual effects. Um, there's so much going on on this movie. Like a lot of the makeups are special effects. Then, you know, um, Merce and I were in the whole designing and in the whole picture, but at the same time, there's so many things happening in different ways. So, you know, things could be a little bit more comfortable for the actors because, sure. you know, for Arsenio and, and, and Eddie to be, you know, go back to 30 years instead of moving forward, it's a different reverse aging that is um, harder to do. So visual effects was part of that. Well, why don't we you cannot guys take just... the credit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I keep asking you about the wrong people's work. So why don't you guys tell me about some of your, uh, your, your favorite characters you worked on here then? 
God, there were several. I mean, first of all, Bella Murphy was just a dream. Um, I mean, congratulations on that gorgeous Essence cover. Uh, I saw that her sister did her makeup, gorgeous. Um, Vera, congratulations to Eddie Lichtman. <laughs> I mean, I was just like so proud to even be a part of this, you know. Um, but Bella was one of my favorite makeups because she was young and it was like, you know, want to keep her young and fresh, but still, you know, she's royalty. So you want to give her a little bit of a pop, but still, you know, age appropriate. And also Sherry Headley, the queen. You know, she, ah, she was amazing. You know, we got to have fun with her hair and her makeup. And I mean, God, there's every character we got to have fun with here. Easy. The 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 general easy was oh my you know, God. very fun. Oh, Wesley Snipes. I loved he, his look in that. That was a, that was something that we worked on on uh, facial hair. Mercy and I we were talking before we started working on the movie about like the weather in Atlanta and how much can we play off with the you know facial hair on men. And uh, Merz was right. It was definitely hard to work on the uh, guy's the facial hair. Well, oh, my God. The heat. the heat. Oh, my God. Yeah, I'm from Atlanta, so I, um, I am no stranger to that. Yeah. Okay, so you'll know, you know, everything comes off really easily. So Wesley uh, was on a, one of the scenes outside where there was the first day of shooting. And, um, you know, he's... <laughs> His whole goatee that was custom made, you know, to fit his, you know, his chin, but everything will collapse. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, like he was sweating so much that it, there was no glue that will have this uh, chin be like glued 100%. It was a struggle. Listen, but nobody would know but us. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going to say that's, that's a very impressive job hiding that. Yeah, um, they did a great what, job. <laughs> Stacey in the wig. We have Stacy on the hair on the beautiful wig. And what's the guy's name that designed the wigs, Vera? Uh, oh my God. I can't think of his name. Oh my God. I will remember. I will remember. <laughs> and I know his name, by the way, but he's an amazing um, wig maker and all the facial hair. It was done by him. And we actually went to his shop at the time in Woodland Hills and we um, casted, um, he casted, you know, Eddie's you know, facial hair too. And, yeah, you know, like anything that has to be done with Arsenio, with, with, you know, with everybody. He's amazing. That's what happens um, when you do an interview. You just forget everybody's names, okay? While I'm looking, did you guys do anything to make James Earl Jones seem sicker and closer to death in some of his scenes? James Earl Jones was also shot at home in New York. So we didn't have really anything to do with that. But just a director flew out um, and the AD and a few people to shoot it. So he, um, everything was done there. So I'm not sure who did his, his makeup and, and everything. So I'm, I, I thought he looked rather well, actually. I didn't think he really looked, you know. Well, not not until the end when he's literally in his funeral, I guess is what right, I was thinking right. of. Right. Which, is, right, which is a great. No, I don't scene. know. I can't even answer that question properly because we weren't there. So he couldn't. He couldn't literally fly to us to do the movie, so they had to fly to him. Well, the hair is spectacular, and obviously, it's an integral part of the story. So, um, oh, absolutely, and and that's the thing about all of us. You know, we all got together, like Carla and Stacy, Merce, and myself. And um, you know, we worked closely with the director, and we were able to like you know, like have meetings, um, you know, before we went to Atlanta so we can all be on the same page and mm -hmm. gave him ideas of what we thought it could be like interesting for different things. Like even like, you know, like everything from all the dancers, you know, um, there was a lot going on that we had to think about prior yeah. to starting the movie. I think it was a combination also with Ruth Carter um, seeing, you know, what the wardrobe was going to be and the hair, so the makeup can, you know, all kind of like go together and, and flow, you know? So there's a, definitely a, a, a big collaboration on, on everybody's behalf. For sure. Were there any other characters that most people won't notice that you guys have buried in here um, other than uh, Babu, I think was the new one. And then- the Oh my returning... God, that was amazing. Wasn't he amazing? Yeah. Babu was yep. incredible. Babu, Babu, I, yes. <laughs> yes. I, I knew it was I knew it was someone. I figured it was Arsenio, but it, it just incredible makeup. Are there other characters other than Babu and uh the returning people played by Arsenio and Eddie from the original 
who are stealthily buried in makeup. No, the doubles. Uh, but that was it. Like you mean special effects makeup? It was. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was the the shop, and uh, you know the other extra two was Arsenio and and Eddie on makeups like that. And just the you babies, know the, the the people that returned the barbers that returned. Um, what was his name? Uh, Clint. Mm-hmm. But we there were no mm-hmm. other characters in prosthetics besides the original people who were in prosthetics. Right. right. That's what I was wondering about. Yeah, because I know you had yeah. the Reverend back and you had Sexual Chocolate the band back and stuff. But that was amazing. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I love I love seeing that return. I know that was really fun just to watch everybody so excited to you know see that happening and well we have the two the the, the singing group um Merce, the girls that came in and oh, and we had a few we, things right yeah we had Invo come in um, I had to hire some specialty makeup people to come in and help us because the day they came in we must have had about I don't know fifty people working main people on camera so oh my god. We had to hire some 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 heavy hitters in Atlanta to come in and help us, you know, get these ladies. Was it Gladys Knight in Vogue and um, uh, Salt and Pepper? So it was a fun, busy, busy day. You know, a few days actually, and um, a great big collaboration there as well. You know, because of course, you know, dealing with you know wardrobe and you know hair, and you know Carla had to bring some people in too to help her with you know designing their hair looks and. Actually, she designed the looks, but, you know, you tell people what you want and then they have to literally, you know, they have to get your vision. And so we both had people who could, you know, deliver because that's always the hard part. Last question before I go. What other than the insane humidity and the scale, what is the single hardest thing about this project for you guys? I mean, sorry, and the name of the wig maker, his name is Justin. Ah, Justin. Yes. Um, Justin was the one that made the, the, the wigs and the facial hair for the guys. I mean, these are all custom made pieces, but I just wanted to, to remind you of Justin. Gotcha. <laughs> I can't remember Justin. his last name. Uh, for me working, um, for me, everything was about coming to America too. I mean, this is like an iconic movie and I grew up in Argentina. I grew up watching Eddie Murphy. I was a little girl and I would watch him in Spanish. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me was the excitement of, you know, making everything perfect, you know, yeah. just it, it, this is like 30 years later. This is like the world watch coming to America, not just the United States. I mean, like the entire world knows coming to America. Yeah. And so for me was more of a. I, a dream. I mean, it's like, I can't believe that we're going to be doing coming to America too. It's, it's just, uh, we had to put everything on it. So besides the location and everything, it could have been done anywhere in the world. And I think that we would have all have been as excited as we all were to work on this iconic movie. Yeah. yeah. For me, and- I would say the pressure, the pressure <laughs> of, of having to do deliver, you know, something that, people are going to love again, mm-hmm. you know, and um, because everyone loved coming to America, the first one, you know, you still watch it today and you love it. So, you know, the pressure was on for us to come together and really like, okay, guys, what are we going to do? How are we going to modernize, you know, this movie and make people still enjoy it, you know, as well as, you know, relish what they're looking at. So, we had a great team, you know, everybody we had a great glam, Ruth Carter with the costumes and, you know, hair and makeup. And we came together and I feel like I think we did a pretty good job. Yeah. Yes, you did. Yeah. It, it looks and, fantastic. And the places, the locations and all the, uh, 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 oh my God, they did such an amazing job with all the decor and mm-hmm. everything, like props, everything. Everybody was just incredible. Everybody delivered. Did you, you know, enjoy I'm gl- the movie? I did enjoy the movie and I especially enjoyed seeing the craft work on it. It's gorgeous to look at. So, uh, and I'm glad everyone else is going to get to appreciate it. And uh, hopefully your team is back in the Oscar race next year for oh, makeup thank and hair. So, <laughs> thank you. Well, it's, it's been a pleasure guys. So thank you thank so you much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye.
Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to Will Mavity's interviews with the makeup team behind Coming to America and for listening to our review of the film. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast and we are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. You can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening as always, and we shall see you all next time. Hey there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.